all full of authentic points of view. Myself alone have at least 22. They come from the things that we have been through. Those things can either make or break you. Life is full of ups and downs. It's our choice to either smile or frown. Please choose to smile today. Because it's one thing that's free to give away. People say that life isn't hard. It's what you make of it. But what if only struggle surrounds you? What can you take from it? Life can be hard and some things aren't fair. Please listen to others just to be aware. All I'm saying, you never know what someone's going through. Just because they look happy doesn't make it true. Hopefully this podcast will help you see. You are not alone. You have at least got me. We are more alike than you may know. But if we stay quiet, we will never grow. Don't ever give up because you got this. If you quit, think of all the opportunities that you could miss. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Authentic Points of View. I am Danielle Boer, your host as always. I am so excited. Season two is almost over, guys. One more episode. Whoa, I can't believe it's been a year. This is crazy. I'm so excited. Thank you for listening to my hoopla for a year. Yay. Today is special. So, it's Mother's Day tomorrow. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, that's the day we're recording is before Mother's Day, the day before. And I'm going to have a special, two special guests, which is different because I usually only have one. So we're going to have a little panel discussion and it's going to be great. And I hope it's going to be so helpful to you all and very informative. So welcome the moms, Rebecca Witzke and Megan I never asked how to sing her last name. <laughs> I thought you were just really confident. It's Tesseldar. <laughs> I'm not that confident. <laughs> Tesseldar. Yes. Yay. All right. See, look how authentic this show is. I just go with the flow. <laughs> this is real life. Okay. So um, welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm really excited. Me too. I'm excited too. This is so uh, different and fun and like I said I hope it's like really helpful and informative to people and uh so let's start off by just a little introduction and we all have stuff in common but we all don't have stuff in common that's why I wanted to do um talk to you ladies because you have awesome um situations with your kiddos so Megan go ahead and um just Give a little brief introduction, please. Yeah. So again, thank you for so much for having me. Um, oh. My name is Megan Tesseldar. Uh, I'm a mom um, of a four-year-old, my baby girl. She um, is nonverbal autistic, but she still manages to like find a way to have the most attitude of anyone I've ever seen. So <laughs> she's like definitely my girl. Um, she just doesn't talk as much as I do. Um, I'm also a high school English teacher. I'm really passionate about equity and equitable teaching in like in schools, making sure that our students have mental health access and supporting our special needs students. Um, I also had uh, my daughter via C-section and I live in Texas, which is wild right now. So really enjoying that. (laughs) That is about me. (laughs) That's so awesome. Thank you for throwing the C-section part in there because I want to ask about that too. Um, and then Rebecca, go ahead and introduce yourself, please. Certainly. Um, nice to be here on your podcast. 
Um, I am Rebecca and I have four adopted children. They each have a unique set of birth parents. So they all have different moms, different dads. There's no shared genes in our household. And um, each of my four children were taken home from the hospitals. They've just lived with us for their entire lives. Um, the other thing that they have in common is they were all exposed to drugs prenatally. So um, um, opioids and cocaine and things like that. Um, but they're all healthy now. They're doing great. And I currently have a 16-year-old girl and a 14-year-old girl. And my boys are 13 and 3. And Megan, I don't know if Texas is the craziest right now because I'm here in Florida and we're a little crazy too. <laughs> you're right. I think you're beating us with the crazy level. <laughs> we're, we're trying really hard though. <laughs> That's wishes to both of us. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's so funny. Um, Atlanta is a little bit uh, wild in itself too. I think <laughs> there's all, so much stuff that goes on here. It's uh, wow. Anyway, uh, that has nothing to do with parenting, but it's it's crazy. All right, so thank you so much, ladies, for coming on. And um, I just want to say, so I'm going to start off with just saying. To Megan, uh, I talked about, well, to all of us, but um, specifically about your situation. I've talked before about my son and the, he has what they used to call Asperger's. And so he, I actually interviewed somebody that is on the spectrum and her daughter is as well. And she was a genius, like, <laughs> like literally like. I don't even know what her IQ level, but she's genius. So it's really awesome to see and talk to parents that, you know, nonverbal, but they're so intelligent and they mm -hmm. communicate in so many ways. Cause you, can you just like name a couple of ways that your daughter communicates with you? Yeah. So she uses her iPad. Um, wow when she speaks to other people, she uses it as like an alternative communication device. Um, she doesn't really do it with us though. We always like her therapists always get on us about it, that we don't, um, use it enough with her, but we feel like if you can communicate in any way, like that should be your communication style. And so at home, she's much more com uh, comfortable communicating by yelling at us. <laughs> <laughs> and so, or like she's um I mean it's her home so she's very comfortable so mm -hmm. usually it's more like through touch at home through like holding hands pointing um but out in the rest of the world she uses her communication device mostly um and she's so good at it it's hilarious you'll um tell her the other day we were asking her like are you okay how are you feeling and she says no people hungry and we're like oh <laughs> like we don't like people when we're hungry either so she's she she puts it together still and for four years old and not being able to speak verbally but still having such a sense of humor yeah. it's hilarious to us like the things she says and does that's amazing I love that and you guys seem like amazing parents because I know that this is just me being honest with my son, I tended to get very frustrated sometimes because I was a very young mom. I had my kids at 18 and 20. And then I didn't tell my story. Uh, 18 and 20. And then I have a bonus son 
and his father had custody of him so he moved in right away and he at four he was four and he just moved in and so he's my son he will always be my son um and then we had a daughter together once we got married and she is now she's gonna be 10 it's crazy anyway so that blended family was kind of difficult too (laughs) it was a challenge but um my second son when I was young and I was trying to figure out things with him and he would just scream and he was like acting out and all that stuff it was really hard for me I wanted to save him like he had a hard time learning and I couldn't he would just cry and you know and I was like what do I do you know so I really give you props because it's it's hard it you feel so bad when you don't and that's great that she communicates that well like even though he was verbal a lot of times he didn't know what to say or how to express himself and he would either like scream or cry you know so um but that's that's really awesome that she has an ipad and that you guys are encouraging her that's great that she's funny i love i did comedy for a little bit love love funny uh so that's awesome all right so rebecca that's so cool about your your kiddos and you said the youngest one is three or is that what you said yes yes so um we had the first three they were very close together they um when we brought the third one home the first one was two and a half and the second one was six months old and then we had a newborn so three under three (laughs) crazy time and then 10 years later we found out there was going to be a fourth um the one of the birth moms became pregnant again and so she called us up we had one of her children already and she called us up and she's like i'm pregnant again um would you like another one and we couldn't say no it wasn't in the plans and we had been a family of five for um 10 years already but um now we're a family of six and it's been a blessing wow how beautiful if you don't mind me asking, um, were you ever foster parents or did you just go straight to adopt? I know though you got all of the baby, they were babies, but did you ever foster at all or? We didn't. Um, our journey is a lot different in, than yours in that when my husband and I got married, I was 33 and he was 44. And so we were starting much later and neither of us had children and we both wanted to have children. So we tried to get pregnant naturally and that wasn't happening. We didn't waste time. And we did, um, we went down the IVF road, the in in vitro fertilization road and the adoption road at the same time. And it just so happened that the adoption road gave us a baby sooner. And so we just stayed on that road and, um, so no, we never fostered or um, had any of our, I was, I've never been pregnant. So um, yeah, that's how our family came together. Wow. That's it. I just want to say thank you so much for that. My cousins, uh, um, they couldn't, my aunt had uh, cervical or ovarian cancer. I'm not sure I was little, but all of my cousins are adopted. So all three of their children are adopted and they all have different birth parents. Um, But it's really 
they were just our cousins. It didn't matter that they were adopted. And actually, when I was little, I didn't even know they were until I got older, you know, of course. And then they, you hear that and you're like, well, what does that mean? Okay. They've always been my cousins. They come to the, you know, family reunion and everything. I don't care. So, um, with, but that's the beautiful thing is getting them as babies is that they've always been siblings. They've always grown up together. And yes. Do you think that that was a easier process than do you have any friends that adopted older children or anything like that? And do you think that babies are easier because you have them the whole time or. I would say the biggest difference is probably in the trauma that they've experienced Mm. because um, any baby, even being adopted at birth is going through some trauma because they're being separated from what they've known for nine months. And so all of our babies experience that. But if after they're born, they spend six months or three years or however long in a situation, and then they get adopted, you know, whether they're in an orphanage or living with the aunt or, you know, usually when kids are available for adoption in as toddlers and as young kids, it's because they've gone through some trauma in their life. And so the more trauma you have, the more difficult your life is probably going to be. Um, and so I think that is coming from like the perspective of the mom. I think once the child comes into your home, you're the mom regardless. Like yep. I can't imagine feeling more of a mom had I given birth to my children. You know, that connection is just as strong. I mean, Not that I can really compare it, but I mean, I can't imagine loving my kids more, feeling more connected to them as their mother. So from that standpoint, I could, you could get a kid who's seven years old and you could still be their real mom. Um, But I think the kids have to go through a lot um, if they don't get a stable home until they're older. So I'm glad we got ours from the beginning because it just saved those kids from any more trauma that they may have had had they stayed in a bad situation. Yeah. So if you don't mind, can I ask you, Rebecca? Um, I used to work with a couple. They were amazing. And they ended up adopting but different children, but they were foster parents. And they would take in kids that the mothers were addicted to drugs, you know, during the pregnancy. How... Did your kids have any like side effects or any symptoms of it or withdrawals or anything? Any of the babies? Yeah, they all did. They all did. Um, You know, with the opioid epidemic and how many, how big that's been and how many children it's created, science is finally starting to figure out what all the long-term effects are, are Mm. um, because there's this huge population, unfortunately, to study. Um, But if you imagine, you know, moms are told when they're pregnant, you know, don't have too much caffeine, you know, eat healthy food. Right. So you can imagine that any toxic substance you put in your body that crosses the placenta and most drugs do, you know, if you have opioids, they have opioids. If you have Coke, they have Coke. So even if you only have it once or twice, or even if you only have it early in the pregnancy, the the fetus is growing and it's being formed and its central nervous system is being formed. So yeah, we, um, 
each of the situations in my house has been different because the different types of exposure they've had and the length of time. But we have a lot of ADHD in our house. We have um, some muscle muscular issues. Um, we we may actually have a little bit of autism. Um, not sure yet. A lot of focus problems. Um, and then some of the stuff that comes from traumas, both having been adopted and being a fetus in a womb that was being fed drugs, you know, that's trauma. So um, yeah, there's, there's things that my kids are going to have to deal with for the rest of their lives. Um, But the more that I learn and the more that science learns, the more we can do to help them early. And uh, the early help is the best help. So the little guy is getting the best road so far. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I know what I'm doing this time. The first time I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue. They sent me home from the hospital with all of these babies, even though they had all these exposures. And they're like, oh, they're fine. The withdrawal's done. You know, they're not shaking anymore. They're Mm -hmm. not, you know, three of my four babies were all in the NICU for an extended amount of time. And but the doctor said, you know, they're fine now. Take them home. Just love on them and everything will work out. Well, not so much. Yeah. Well, let me (laughs) just say, Rebecca, not comparing it to to you, but moms never know what we're doing it doesn't matter how old we are it doesn't matter what the situation is healthy baby um sick baby like it I mean you don't know you learn as you go and so you adjust and you adapt and you just figure things out right and that's what makes a good parent it's just like and yeah maybe like my 22 year old do the same things for him that now my nine-year-old you know times have changed also because it's been a long time they're 12 years apart but also I'm more mature I know more I've learned through um, mistakes right we all make mistakes and I just want to say Rebecca that my son that came in my life when uh, he was four and then unfortunately I got divorced and then I moved to Georgia from Ohio he will always be my son I got to raise him for seven years. I got my only tattoo I have is all four of my kids and it's in a heart and he will always, always be my baby. And I haven't been able to see him. They wouldn't let me. So I haven't seen him in a few years Um, and it's heartbreaking. And that bond, I can't say it was there from day one because it was a really tragic and crazy situation that he was going through and him being away from his bio mom. But um but I I loved him from the beginning, but it was rocky. I mean, you know, him being basically an only kid coming into two boys and all this. But but I I love him as much as the other ones. There's nobody can tell me that's not my child. So I just want to tell you, it doesn't matter if you give birth to them or not. It's that's your those are your babies, especially you've had them from day one. Those are absolutely your babies. So. Um, Megan, really quick, I want to ask you about C-section. Uh, I'm a nurse and I hear all this stuff, not from nurses, but like I've seen on Facebook, people are like, well, oh, you know, C-sections don't make you or come on, get out of the town. It's so silly. C-sections are hard. Like they you, are. you cannot feel anything. You can't walk. You can't be independent right away. They want you to get up, but you can't feel you can fall on your face. I mean, you have to be able to pee on your own, but you can't feel it. 
everything. I mean, and and so it's crazy. And I was going to have to have our emergency C-section with my daughter. She was stuck on my pelvis and that wasn't <laughs> fun. Uh, TMI, but that's true. Uh, and so she ended up, I did give birth to her, but C-sections are necessary sometimes to save the mom, to save the baby. So how long did it take you to heal from yours? Yeah, I think, I think what people don't understand about C-sections, like, I think we hear a lot of the time, like, to posh, to push, or, like, that it's an option, and um, for me, I, I didn't really have the option, I went in, I had a doula, I was, like, ready to mm -hmm. do just this, like, natural, beautiful birth, um, and my girl just did not want to come, she was a week late, and I was still zero centimeters dilated, Wow! they gave me, like, Pitocin after, like, mm -hmm. 12 hours, still zero centimeters dilated, like, she was not coming at all, um, and so we ended up having to do a C-section, but what people don't tell you is that you're, like you said, you're incapacitated mm -hmm. for weeks on end, and then there's side effects from the medication that you take, and um, like my milk didn't come in really well, which I found out way later is sometimes a side effect of all the medicine. And it just, it causes so many things. I ended up getting really bad postpartum depression because I was separate from my daughter for so long because you don't realize how many muscles are you use in your stomach until you can't use them anymore. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say it took me about six to, six to eight weeks, I remember, because I was like, luckily, I get off work for eight weeks with a C-section. It was right about that time that I mm -hmm. started feeling like I could move around and stuff. But then um, I think, again, because of my like milk production, because of what happened with the C-section and everything, I ended up getting mastitis. So I don't oh. think I was like, fully, fully healed for like a good couple months and still to this day I get like phantom pains in my c-section scar and I'm like oh. I don't know like it's probably in my head but like, <laughs> I it definitely it was a form of trauma for me for sure to smell them like burning my flesh I was like Oof, no oh. I'm good this was not oh, fine mama. yeah yeah it no was and you're awake like people don't get it you're awake like and oh, they say like you can't feel anything but but you can you can't feel pain pressure but you, you can feel, feel pressure. pressure yeah you feel tugging you feel pulling and I was just <laughs> it was the weirdest thing ever I'm glad that I was very drugged up for it because <laughs> it was not something that you could like see in my like all of our post birth pictures like you know my husband's like oh our beautiful baby and I'm just like <laughs> like staring off into space and I, was just like, I wasn't there for a good day after I would think like mentally <laughs> you're like there's a baby okay great oh. it was it was bizarre yeah and we thought it was going to be like a three-day labor and then it went from a three-day labor to because she wasn't coming they're like it's gonna be about three days before you have her she had her heart rate crash a couple times and then like 10 minutes later they're like well we have a room open for you we can get you in in the next 30 minutes and I went from thinking I wasn't gonna have a baby for a couple of days to having a baby literally like 35 minutes later so it was pretty it was it was a wild ride I definitely think c-section moms suffer just <laughs> as much as everyone else it's just a different way right. that it, it, it irks my nerves because 
that's so silly. Like literally you're not allowed to lift, but you have a new baby. So you mm-hmm. want to hold your baby. Like people don't get it. Like, and that's the thing about the world is like, people want to be so judgmental. And I want to talk about that really quick. Sorry, Rebecca. Um, about like, but just breastfeeding really quick. Okay. So Pitocin, this is what I was told. Okay. With my daughter, because she was stuck, they thought I was just not dilating. They gave me the the most Pitocin. It's not funny. The doctor said to me, I gave you the most Pitocin I've ever given anybody in 30 years. <laughs> to know. Yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway, I, at that point, I said, please do a C-section. I was scared something was happening to the baby and she just wasn't mm-hmm. coming, you know? And so anyway, um, and I wanted to breastfeed so bad because I couldn't with my boys. I didn't produce it. I thought that I was. I didn't know. I was young. My son ended up losing two and a half pounds, and he was only eight, nine to begin with. He got really sick. He got jaundice. And and because I was young, they kept dismissing me. Well, you're doing it right. I don't know what's going on. And so I had to give him formula because I don't want him to die. I mean, he kept losing weight. And so anyway, with my daughter, so many years had gone by, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I like was like so prepared to breastfeed. I was so excited. And then the lactation consultant said, well, they gave you so much drugs that that's what's not going to, that's why you can't produce it. And then I ended up getting issues like not mastitis, but really, really hard. And it was bad anyway. So yeah, people don't understand. You just don't understand. And it doesn't matter again. It doesn't matter how the baby comes into the world. Even if you have a surrogate, if you adopt, if you, I try, I was thinking about doing IVF and I'm not going to tell everybody my business because I have a touchy situation um, that I'm going through right now and it will make me cry. Um, but with my, my guy, so with my ex-husband, I got a, a tubal done and now I met somebody that I love that I would want to have kids with, but I got my tubes tied. So we thought about IVF and so Rebecca, how much into the process did you get? Did you even do any of the hormones or anything? Or did you just look into the IVF? Well, when our first baby came home, um, I clearly remember he was about a month old sleeping in her crib in mm-hmm. one room. I'm in the other room with my husband. I had been doing all of the IVF drugs to prepare for it. Mm. And he's shooting me in the stomach, which is one of the things that you do through the IVF process. So it was simultaneous. I mean, I was getting prepped to give birth myself when we already had a baby. Um, And we actually made eggs and got the eggs implanted, Mm -hmm. didn't produce a pregnancy, but we had more eggs and we could have kept trying. But because the adoption pathway had already worked and because it seemed just so much more natural then the IVF process, we ended up getting rid of the extra eggs and just focusing on adopting more kids. And that, I just want to say again, that how wonderful you guys are because, wow, like to have one baby that went through that, but to have three kids at the like little under the age what in the wow like first of all that's a lot it regardless of if they're going through um withdrawals or if they 
have been adopted, no matter what, three under three, that's hard. How did you guys adjust to that? It was really hard. I don't have a lot of memories from that time. Because <laughs> I think it's just a blur. Um, but my husband and I were both raised in families with five kids. Oh, So we come from, I mean, I don't necessarily consider five a big family, you know, but this, these days it is a pretty big family. And so we went into it knowing that we were older and knowing that if we were going to have a big family, we had to work fast. So, you know, we didn't have the luxury of, um, you know, every two years <laughs> when a kid was available, we grabbed them. And so um, we did get um, some help during that first year when we had the two six months apart. Um, you know, we had uh, we had a, a woman who came and helped us during the day. But after that, you know, we were on our own. And the other thing is we didn't like, they weren't necessarily problematic babies. You know, it, what the doctor said initially was true that, you know, after, once they were okay to come home from the hospital, they were healthy babies. It only was when they started to grow up and couldn't do all the things their peers could do, or especially in school, you know, school has produced a lot more issues. Um, But as babies, yeah, three under three is crazy, but they, it wasn't three special needs under three. It was three just regular old babies under three. Uh, Rebecca, that's too hard. <laughs> All right. I'll tell, like, you, oh. tell you this too. My, hus- my husband and I are both known to be overachievers. <laughs> I say. And, wow. I mean, when we look back, it was all like, you know, okay, you know, we were just making, we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. We might have been older, but we had no clue. We had no clue what we were getting ourselves into. Wow. It was the plan. (laughs) That's amazing. And that's such a beautiful thing for a couple to, because that's hard on you guys too. I think like when you introduce kids, no matter again, how, how do they get introduced? Um, If you have them or if you get with a partner that has kids or if you adopt or whatever. Okay. It can really put a strain on a relationship sometimes I feel and so kudos to both you Rebecca and Megan because it's it's a fun ride but it can make or break you right it can make you stronger it can uh (laughs) it can break you apart so that's awesome that you guys were like especially when the little one came because a lot of years had gone by and such a, a beautiful thing. You're such a blessing um, to say, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. And, and you're like, I got more experience now. Woo. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, so you, you kind of know what to expect, which is awesome. So I'm going to ask, so Megan, what is the most rewarding thing to you about being a mother? such a tough one um because I feel like there's there's just I don't know my I feel like my experience is probably so different than most like parents with neurotypical Mm -hmm. kids I I almost said students my teacher (laughs) but um yeah so for me it's less of like a oh when my daughter tells me she loves me or anything like that Mm -hmm. and it's more my favorite thing, the most rewarding part is just like the connection that I know that we have. Um, and it kind of makes me think of what you said, Rebecca, about how like 
you couldn't love them more if you had given birth to them. And it's the same feeling like I can't imagine anything different. Like, I don't even know how to express it because just the way we look at each other, we just get it. We have this like connection and I, I just can't imagine that with any other baby, which is why I'll never have more. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just, it's amazing. I think when you raise a child and you spend so much time with them and you are their safe place, that there is just something that they see in you that no one else recognizes. And I think that's the most rewarding part is that they see who you wish you were. Um, and so you almost Aww. have to be that person for them. My cheesy answer, but really no. just... Especially because she can't talk. So just sometimes feeling that and just that feeling that you have as a mom with your child and just knowing like I'm their safe place and that's it. That's the best part. That almost made me cry. That's so (laughs) sweet. Oh my gosh. I I teach English, so I'm I'm pretty good with words. So I have to sometimes like cut myself off because I'm like, you're rambling now. (laughs) No, you're not. That was so fluent and beautiful. Um, Rebecca, uh, what do you think is the most rewarding? And you have multiple kids, so it could be several things. But what do you find the most rewarding about being a mother? Oh, um, Megan's answer is so beautiful. Oh, no. I, um, I'm going to say I like to see them out in the world um, being the people that I've helped them to be. So like, I'm the opposite of a helicopter parent. Mm. Like I give them a long, long leap. So when we go to the playground, like when they were littler and we, I would take them to the playground, my kids would be the ones, you know, climbing up the ladders, going to the highest spaces, jumping off whatever they wanted to jump off without me right there. Are you going to be safe? Is it okay? You know, I just let them free. And because of that, they learned their own limitations and maybe sometimes they fell and they got back up and tried it again. And so when I, um, you know, like am in a situation, maybe just in our neighborhood where they're playing with the other kids and I'm watching who they are and how they're interacting with the other kids. And I see them say something or do something that is along the lines of what I've always wanted for them. Um, to be independent and to make their own choices and things um, that that's what's really rewarding to me that, um, you know, it's worked a little bit. The things that I've tried to put on them has, has worked a little bit and that's wonderful to see. Oh, it's worked a lot. So before I say mine, uh, cause I don't know if is gonna, I got to think about, but um, that's so that's beautiful. So, Rebecca, I wish, not that I can take back anything, because I was a helicopter parent so much that it pushed away, like, my oldest son. And I he was, um, he's 22 now, and I remember when he was, like, 17, he goes, you didn't let us do anything. And... I'll never forget that. I'll never forget the look that he looked at me. like, And he didn't even do anything. My second one was the rotten one that was sneaking out and doing all this stuff. Oh, mama. It was rough. 
Um, I would have to go look for him at two in the morning and like, mm-hmm. it was hard. But, um, so when my son said that to me, I was like, oh, snap, it's maybe my fault. But, um, but also my second son has, is the spitting image of his father that I tried to keep him not away from, but to not be like that. I tried, I had him, he's the one with, um, Asperger's ADHD, um ODD all this stuff and I tried with counseling since he was four all these things because he started doing things that I was like oh that reminds me of how his dad was and and then he still ended up like that uh but when it got to the point where and I listened to my boyfriend he said hey you're he needs a change of scenery and I was like, Ugh. so I let him go live with his dad and he has never gotten in trouble since he has not gotten in trouble. He's doing amazing. He became a manager at his job. He's literally going to move to Florida. What in the world uh, from Maryland? And so I'm in Georgia. He went to Maryland and now he's going to he wants to move to Florida. And I'm like, OK, uh, that's that's a long way to move. But um, but he'll be closer to me. And if he needs anything, mom will come and help him but yeah so that taught me so with my daughter now that there's such a big age gap that I try not to be like that so I'm I think that's amazing that you guys from the beginning like had such a great parenting style that you're like yeah figure it out right you're gonna fall you gotta get back up I was like so young that I wanted to do such a good job that it ended up like not that I did a horrible job I I don't think I did I mean but there's times where I could have let them like I would let my son go to his friend's house and stuff like that I wasn't that bad but when it came to like playing outside without me being there nope I was scared you know and I lived in Baltimore before so I was like I thought that mentality of like Ohio the little tiny town is Baltimore it's not but (laughs) but that made them think like oh my gosh you know so that's cool that you didn't that you did it that way I think that's awesome but anyway so my most rewarding thing is probably kind of I think I don't know I don't want to talk about my one son but there's so many but the fact that my my son that I did not birth still calls me mom and he tells everybody and I'm going to cry because I miss him so much. It's It's been hard, but anyway, um, he, he's so awesome and he just thanks me for everything and I left and that was hard, but I wasn't allowed to legally bring him because he's not my biological kid. So um, that's rewarding is that he still considers me his mom and that I like haven't lost that bond with him. Um, And also like all all the kids just like like you said, seeing how well they're doing and they're older and like the older ones and like seeing them like when I went and visited my son at work and stuff like that, you know, like it's so cool. It's like, oh, my gosh, you're doing your thing you know and like even my daughter like she's gonna be 10 and and it's rewarding like seeing her get ready for her dance rehearsal and she got the one part 
the lead part in Moana and then now she's got a solo and that all that stuff is so amazing and just being their support system is really rewarding so um sorry I cried I always cry uh <laughs> but he'll be 18 uh, next year so I'm like I'm gonna see him then but anyway <laughs> all right so Megan really quick I had postpartum depression as well with my second son actually and um how did you adjust to having postpartum depression and and healing from a c-section and trying to um raise your daughter how did that all work yeah I don't think I did ever adjust truly um I still I still have a lot of trauma I think from having postpartum depression um it was I had really severe PPD um and I've always had anxiety and like just the regular like chill depression (laughs) but but, um yeah having my daughter just threw my hormones completely out of whack and um I think that was we had um we had a really traumatic incident in the hospital. They had made a mistake with something. I honestly, at this point, cause I was in such a fog, they had made a mistake and they had swapped our, my urine sample with someone else during one of like oh, no. during my intake. Cause when I went in to take, to go in, it wasn't actually, I wasn't supposed to be there to get birth. I was there for the one week post mm-hmm. the one week late check. And so, you know, they did my like urine sample that you do every time. And there was a mistake where there was another person in the waiting room with the same first name as me and they didn't ask our last names. Mm -mm. And so when my daughter was born, they came in the next day and they had CPS and they said, your drug, your (sighs) urine screen tested positive for methamphetamines. And I was like, what? And like, it was insane to me. They they called CPS. They told oh me my, my daughter gosh. was going to be taken from me. I mean, and I'm still in this like post C-section fog. I've got a brand new baby. My They're pulling my husband out of the room, telling him like, just oh. tell us. Maybe she only tried it one time. And he was like, what? Like, oh. Won't try meth for the first time when you're nine months pregnant. Like, <laughs> Not typically. Someone's, oh, yeah. They, I remember, I'll never forget. They said, maybe someone slipped it into your drink. And I'm like, that's not how meth works, but I'm not going to bring that up because I don't think that that means I know about it. So, yeah. And um, oh so, yeah, my my first full day with my baby, I spent being told by the lactation consultant, you can't breastfeed her because you have meth in your system. And, you know, having CPS come in and question us, they they actually locked my parents out of the birthing wing. Um, my dad's out there screaming at security trying to get in and still to this day, I think that really triggered my PPD and made it so bad. And still to this day, like if my daughter's school calls and they're like, Hey, she ate all her, all her food, like tomorrow, can you send her with more? Cause she's going through like a, a hungry phase. My mind immediately goes to, Oh, they're, they're going to come take my baby away from me. Like, and so Aww. I don't think I ever fully recovered from that. And I think that people focus so much on the baby when we have babies or when babies are in our household that a lot of the time everything else gets pushed to the side. Like the baby's the most important thing and they are because they can't defend themselves or protect themselves. But we, we 
don't look at what the parents need. And I think that's really hard. And postpartum depression is still so people don't talk about it enough, which is crazy because so many women have it in some form or another. Um, So I don't think I ever really, I never adapted to it. Long story short. Um, It was traumatic. It's still traumatic. Um, I'm still on antidepressants because it's just, um, it's a long, it's a long cycle. I don't know if I'll ever re-regulate. Um, but yeah, it's a traumatic thing to feel the feelings that you feel when you're, when you have postpartum depression that, you know, takes you a long time to love your baby and connect with them and the doubt that comes with it and that you're not a good mom and all of these things. So it's definitely something like a work in progress, I think the, and yeah. Long story short, still, still working on it. Always a work in progress. I'm so sorry that happened to you. That's horrible. Um, it's simultaneously a, a funny story and not. Not funny. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's horrible. Um, and I, I am a nurse and I'm like, no, that's why. No, that's yeah. so bad. That's not what we do. Like, uh, it was insane. They were, no. it was not a nice feeling to have the nurses all think that you are a meth addict and they- like. They were actually really nice. So the nurses were the best. The nurses, I mean, one of them, I remember she was in there crying with me because she was like, obviously you're not addicted to meth. Your child is a chunk. Like she's like (laughs) pounds, like she's fully healthy weekly. Like you are obviously not on drugs, but, and sure enough, when they, they had to send my art tests out for like secondary testing and they came back and they were like, oops, it was an accident, but don't buy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Having having CPS at your bedside telling you that you're tr- you're going to be doing home visits and that your child might get taken away from you is scarring for anyone let alone a mom who has a one day old baby laying next to her. Wow. I'm so sorry you went through that. Seriously, like that that's very scary, but I'm so glad that they figured it out. Uh, yeah. uh that's <laughs> <Me> horrible. <too. laughs> and that, you know, I mean you can't take away what happened, but thank goodness it didn't go further. And mm-hmm, they, definitely. you know, eventually they tested you again, but that's ridiculous. And I'm sorry that happened. And Rebecca, really quick, I didn't ask you, um, I know you, you said you're writing a book and, but I didn't ask about the adoptions. Are they open adoptions? Do you talk to the birth parents or is it closed? Both. Um, Two of them are closed and the one um, where I have two kids with the same birth mom, it started out semi-open. We agreed before the baby was born that we would have a yearly visit where the Mm. birth mom could see the baby once a year. And we did that for like 10 years. And then that was the one who ended up having another baby. Um, So I wish they were all open. I think, um, it's better for everyone involved, the, the birth family and the adoptive family and the children. Um, but it's worked for us. Um, I, we have done genetic testing on everyone, like through mm-hmm. ancestry.com and we've made some connections. The ones that are closed adoptions, I've made some connections to their, um, genetic families. And so when my kids are older, I have some leads and stuff for them. Um, but yeah, it's um, a little bit of both at our house. Awesome. So how did you 
tell them that they were adopted like i know everybody there's four kids but um let's just say the first one how did you even come like what age does that conversation come into play um it we told them from the very beginning when they were sitting on our lap you know nursing and things like that i'm so glad that you came into our lives through adoption and so Aww. you know they the word adopt and adoption and all that was was right along line you know they never didn't know that they were adopted they grew up knowing that they were adopted and that it was a wonderful thing um it's been a little bit of a challenge with the little guy because I'm so out of practice that I've like every once in a while I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, you're adopted. I mean, he <laughs> still doesn't he doesn't know what that means, but I know it's important for me to continue to tell him so that when he does know what it means, um, he can uh he can understand it that way. So um yeah. That's funny. You're like, oh yeah, it's been a while. Let me <laughs> let me remind you. <laughs> so um Megan, I wanted to ask you really quick. What age did your daughter get diagnosed? Uh, she was diagnosed at two, wow. maybe two and a half. Um, so my mom is a special ed teacher. My sister is a special ed teacher. My grandpa um, or my great grandpa like pioneered the special education field, essentially, as we know it. So like, wow, I, I knew the signs. And um, I think for a long time, people were like, no, she'll like you know, she'll grow into herself and all this stuff. And I was like, it's not a bad thing like to have autism. It's just the younger we figure it out, the earlier we can give her resources. So right. when she hit two, I was like, let's go kid. Like, let's go get tested. And sure enough, um, I mean, the test isn't, it's not genetic or anything. So they just ask a couple of questions they observe, but she was formally diagnosed at like two, two and a half. Um, but I would say I knew that she was on the spectrum um, from about six months. I recognized wow. it. I remember crying in my car and being like, something's going on. And her, yeah, so I think you just know, you know your kids better than anyone else. So mm-hmm. I, I knew something, something was up with her. Um, but yeah, two, two and a half ish. Wow. Yeah. So I agree that, you know, something is going on or even if they're having a bad day like even though she's not not she's non-verbal you can still tell right by mm-hmm. by non-verbal communication stomping a sigh a look you know you can tell and Rebecca with multiple kids I know you can you can tell when maybe they answer you a little bit different or maybe they just don't do their normal thing and have you had that with any of them and you could just, you know, the mom, you're like, Oh, something's going on. What happened? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and with multiple ones, it's hard with when one's in a bad mood, it, it transfers to the others so quickly. <laughs> just like when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You know, if I'm in a bad mood, everyone's in a bad mood. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's how it was when all four of mine, when we, live together which is this is a weird a hard situation but anyways no i need not then wasn't a hard situation but now that they're all kind of but um but yeah it was the same way like literally if one of them had something going on then it's like trickled down to everybody and my son that has um well that's on the spectrum 
he thought that when the baby cried, that meant that he that it was his fault. Like he would say, she hates me. She's crying. And and he was the youngest one. Basically, in that sense, because, well, I had a stillborn um, at 25 weeks. That was very traumatic. But um, and then I had a miscarriage, but he was so little he doesn't know. And then there was no baby in the house. And then we got a four year old. So he didn't he was still the youngest in the sense of being around a baby. He hadn't been around a baby. And so when she came, he's now 10 and everything he thought she hates me. She's crying. She threw her toy. That means she's mad at me. That And I'm like, no, honey, that's not babies cry. <laughs> babies are, you know. And so that was a hard thing to kind of get him to understand that that's just a normal thing that babies do. That doesn't reflect you. You know, it's, it's okay. It's not your fault. But um, yeah, so that was that was something too. <laughs> it was always something, uh, especially when you have a whole bunch of them it's like it's random uh fun things that happen that you're just like is this real life sometimes <laughs> or just like with you Megan sometimes how funny your daughter is you're like this is so you know you're like is this really happening <laughs> right. they're always surprising I feel like kids especially yeah. working with high schoolers it's the same thing I'm around like hundreds of kids all the time the oh. things they say I'm always shocked <laughs> oh yeah oh, oh boy high schoolers I don't know if I could do that I always wanted to be a little like maybe kindergarten teacher but not i don't know if i could do the 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 older ones woo uh all right so what is the best gift that you've gotten for mother's day let's start with megan yeah so i have um my husband when we moved to texas we found this like spa near us and i feel like i should have like a nice like my daughter made me something but it was not um the best <laughs> present i ever got my husband sent me away for the entire day. Um, and I did like a full day spa package. I've never, wow. you know, I've gotten like a massage before, but it was like, it was literally, I think like five, six hours with like five treatments and like in between each one, you get to go into the nice room with your fluffy towel and drink unlimited mimosas. And like, wow. it was, yeah. And so now it's a tradition every, every holiday, every mother's day or my birthday, I go, I only get one treatment, but I'll always <laughs> remember the day that I got all those. And then of course my, my daughter also like made me some stuff and got me some flowers and that was cute too. But the spa with the unlimited mimosas will always live on in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome though, because you need, like, we need time for ourselves right? Mm -hmm. Even if you're a dad or a mom, it really doesn't matter. A parent, uh, a, a guardian, whoever is raising the kid, uh, <laughs> the whole you family, the village. Yeah. <laughs> you, you need a, um, a break, like to just be yourself and think and like, just have like a little bit of quiet. Uh, so yeah, that's awesome. Rebecca, what is the best um, or multiple gifts since you have <laughs> four kids? What's the best gift that you ever got? I'm sticking with the theme. It's time away from the kids. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's the best gift I can get is time to myself. You know, this is a busy household that I'm part of. And um, my husband knows that that's the best gift that he can give me. He's taken all four kids away for the weekend before and just allowed wow. me to be home in my house by myself. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my favorite gift. 
just get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. That's so awesome. Uh, I don't know if I ever got that gift. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> so my my favorite gift is probably when they make you stuff. And I know that sounds cheesy, but it's it was always something different from each kid. And they all are different. So like the one um, is so considerate and like would make you all these special things and one would just write like a coupon right like here's for a free hug and <laughs> I'm like oh, thanks and then the other one would make me some in school and now my daughter's like big into like oh my gosh she's into like making clay stuff like it's really cool ceramic stuff at nine so she um made something she made me a canvas and it says like love and a heart oh so but she's very very artistic and creative and so those things are are my favorite but then she goes why didn't you hang it in your room mom i'm like mckenna i can't hang everything <laughs> anyway so that's fun all right so let's see megan we'll start with you what is your advice for i'll let you choose do you want to give advice for somebody that has postpartum depression uh because I also had it too. Um, and it's really rough and I don't think people really understand, or they might not even know that that's what it is. Or do you want to give advice for, um, parents raising autistic children? You can go ahead and, or you can give advice to both people. That's fine with me. Yeah. I think, I think just advice for moms is always like universal. Like if you've got kids at home, like just recognize that it's okay to like not like them sometimes or to like we said like get away from just everything like as moms we have so much um on us all the time there's the mental burden and I think we just feel differently about our children than other people anyone else in the world does and that emotional burden of constantly loving something so much even when you're frustrated, angry, anything like my advice would be like, just say, I need to step away for a moment. Like, that's it. Like I need to step away. And I think especially new moms or moms of children with special needs, it's like, you feel this superhero need to be on 24 seven. Um, but yeah, that would be my advice. Just look at whoever your partner is, whoever's helping you in that moment, whoever's raising those kids with you. If you have any support system, And just ask for a moment to step away when you feel like you need it. Not when you feel like you're at your breaking point, but when you feel like I need a moment, just ask for it because that's what moms need is just that moment to breathe and recenter. So that's what I would say is my advice. Awesome. And it's important. Rebecca, what do you think? What's your advice for anyone that wants to adopt children or anybody that has multiple uh children what would be your advice to them um as far as adoption I would say that um just be trauma informed because a lot of people um just like like I did I just thought that since my kids only ever knew us that they had no trauma um and if I understood, I mean, the, the whole, all the resources to deal with trauma has been growing and growing over 
so many years. And so it's a lot easier to figure it out now. But um, I wish I would have known a lot of that in the beginning. So hopefully parents having children these days um, will be more informed. And as far as multiple kids, um, geez, I don't know what to say. I mean, if you're going to have multiple kids, you know, it's fun. It's fun. It's busy. It's, you know, I personally could not be the parent of an only child. Um, I have to give people like Megan credit because I, I knew from the beginning, I could never do it. I could never just have one and be that child's source. Like all the things that the siblings provide, Megan has to provide all of that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not equipped for that. That's why I have to have all these other siblings around because I can't give them all of that. Um, so, you know, for me, it wasn't an option except for to have a bunch of kids. Um, and I'm glad that that life worked out that way for my husband and I. Yeah, I so it's funny because I have several children, but my daughter is kind of an only child now because the oldest one has had his own house for a few years and he has two dogs and two jobs. And, and then the second one, like I said, he was 17 and he moved in with his dad and that was so hard. Like it was so hard, but now that he's doing so great, I'm so glad that I really was mature enough to, and also the person I was, I'm with, he said, Hey, people change. You got to trust that people change. And seeing my son actually seeing him, like, no offense to him, not have a lot of stuff because of choices he made when he was younger and all that stuff, straightened my son up and was like, oh no, I don't want to be, you know, like, I don't want to live like that. And so I thought the opposite. I thought it was going to push him more to be like that, but it really didn't. So, um, that's, that's a beautiful thing but now so she gets to see her brother in Ohio in the summer some but she doesn't get to be with any of them now all the time and that's hard on her and so she is basically she's a single she's the only child at the house and um so I've had both ways I've had all four <laughs> running around uh and they do they entertain each other they teach each other they fight with each other uh, but they help each other learn and and it's really amazing but and that's hard for her and she's the only girl too so she's like why don't my brothers want to play with me I'm like because they're grown men and <laughs> because, <laughs> because they don't want to play with dolls they're they're boys but um so yeah that that's really it, it's a big it's a big difference and because of uh you know uh, ipad and stuff megan uh, she does now entertain herself or she she likes to write she likes to draw so sometimes she'll go in her room but at one point for like a year it when we're there she's there she's like she's there you know she's like right beside you like she's in the in the bed she doesn't sleep in the bed but she'll like be in the bed until it's time for her to go to bed or she'll be wherever you are and that's a beautiful thing but then it also sometimes is like go play in the backyard you know <laughs> like go do something but anyway so yeah I, I I love it both ways but it's really funny because I'm also not girly so 
that's hard for me because she's very girly and I was a great boy mom. That's what I say all the time. I and but so the other day I was like, you know what? Let's go to the park and play. Let's throw a football. Let's play soccer, you know, and she's like, okay. so that was fun. Um, But anyway, all right. So we'll start with you, Megan. Where can we find you? Um, If you want to say like your social media or whatever, you can go ahead and do that. Yeah, um, I really only have Instagram and it, it's basically just like my my account. It's not um, I'm not really not an influencer or anything exciting. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you can you can see my sweet girl and her grow. Um, my Instagram is at M-E-G-G-Y-H-A-G-E at Meggie Heggy. Um, my husband's last name is Heggy. So that's we, so cool. Yeah. <clears throat> so we figured it was Meggie Heggy is what my friends called me in college when we were together. So you can find me there on Instagram. You can see my sweet girl and all the rude things she says to me using her iPad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm gonna look you up because I, I think that's fun. Okay. So um Rebecca, go where can we find you? And then when will your book be published, if you know? So um I'm currently writing. It's uh, it's a book to support parents and caregivers that are raising kids with prenatal opioid exposure. Wow. So um, my goal is to have a Kickstarter to fund the process in October. And then the book will come out at the beginning of next year. And you can follow along at my Facebook profile. Just It's just a regular Facebook profile, Rebecca Witzke. It's R-E-B-E-C-C-A. Witsky is W-H-I-T-S-K-I. So just friend me and follow along. And um, if there's any questions I can answer for anyone, I love to talk about adoption and um, have a lot of experience in the topic. Yay. That's so awesome. So I love this. This was so fun. All of our journeys have been different. Uh, And my journey has been different for myself, too. I went from having a kid at 18 and to having a kid at like 30. Whoa, (laughs) world of difference. Uh, But yeah, so this has been so awesome, I think. And I really appreciate you ladies coming on. Um, If you want to say anything else, you can. Megan, you have anything else to say or No, just thank you so much um, for having me. This has been a lot of fun. I love hearing and talking to other women about um, just their kids and their lives and how it looks with all these different situations. So this was really uh, interesting to me that we all have such unique perspectives on motherhood. So thank you very much for this. You're welcome. Thank you for coming on. Rebecca, do you have anything else you want to say? Yeah, I want to go have coffee with all you guys. Let's uh, mm-hmm. let's yeah, meet yeah, up yeah. at the local Dunkin' or Starbucks. <laughs> no, it's been wonderful um, spending these moments with you. And um, thank you for having this forum, Danielle, with your podcast. So um, it's great. Thank you. Thank you all for sharing your stories and being vulnerable and honest. And like I said, this is to literally help women um and some women you just you can't it you just can't get pregnant and it happens and and so I think thank you Rebecca for talking about that because it happens way more than we know and it's hard on Mother's Day for some women and because if you're a certain age people just assume that you're a mom 
and they just say might say happy mother's day or something and then you never were able to be a mom and some to be a mom and that's okay but i know some women that really really try and struggle and have been trying for 10 years and um so thank you for talking about that as well as megan thank you for talking about postpartum depression because it was really it was really hard like i think i literally just quit my job and i i mean that was not a good choice but i was like i had the two-year-old and then this new baby that was born um with eczema and colic and he was scratch his face as soon as he was born he was born with an infection they had to take him away right away and it was just it was a lot and he cried and cried and cried and he was projectile vomiting and oh uh (laughs) so yeah so it was hard and then and it it's a very touchy subject i feel like mental health period people don't talk about so and motherhood is motherhood no matter what even if you became a mom to a 17 year old you are a mother even if you became a bonus mom or stepmom you know you're still a mother so i just everybody's special all of our journeys are unique and special and i really really appreciate you guys for sharing them with the audience and I can't wait to follow your stories. That's exciting. And good luck with your Kickstarter, Rebecca. Um, I know somebody that had great success. Her book just got published, actually. And she had a Kickstarter. And her book just came out, I think, March. And um, she did very, very well with the Kickstarter. And her book is also um, about um kids with disabilities and it's called the abcs of inclusion and it is a beautiful beautiful book and uh, i'm really happy for her but anyway so thank you so much megan and rebecca um i can't wait to follow you guys in the future and see what everything how it unfolds and good luck with your uh three-year-old and the word adoption that's so cute how you said how did you (laughs) And Megan, good luck with your daughter with her sassy, funny self with the mm-hmm. iPad. <laughs> so thank you, ladies. And you, I hope you have a great Mother's Day. And I hope that this year you get the best gift ever. Uh, and hopefully you guys get to have some alone time tomorrow. <laughs> All right. Thanks, ladies. Thank you so much. Thanks. Have a great day. day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Authentic Points of View podcast. I hope that something you heard today changes your point of view. If you would like to share your views, please email me at authenticpointsofview at gmail.com or leave a comment on Facebook at Authentic Points of View Podcast. Remember, always be mindful of other people's journeys and have open ears and an open heart.